Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow underway. The Friday edition. We've made it. Headed into the football weekend. Glad you're with us. Across the network as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Today, Michael McHenry will join us. Former Major League catcher, now analyst, joins us as we will preview the World Series matchup between Arizona and Texas. First pitch later this evening. Plus, Michael Fabiano, all things guru for fantasy football. The bye weeks, or at least the, the big one until week 13. The big one was week 7. Uh, behind us and now we go into week eight as everyone's jockeying for position wondering about the trade deadline and more Fabiano joins us with the Fabs five who to sit who to start and more that's coming up later this hour and Chad Withrow brings you his famous top 10 games of the college football weekend Chad good afternoon it is quite famous Hutton I appreciate it you is. acknowledging as much well the excited. effort that you go to uh, eliminate uh, the the 11 through 15 to get to your top 10 is I mean you you stress over this. It's really about reduction. You know, I take yeah. a what I, do is I take a list of all the games, yep. and then I just start plucking away. I'm pruning, pruning those games I don't care about that not enough people care about. Some care, but not enough. And then I slowly whittle it down, work my way to the top ten of the week. Hutton, I'm excited to announce that this week's top ten features my first ever Mac game. We have Maction finally. In my top 10 of the weekend. So, just there you go. before, just under the radar for um, November. Yeah. Just, just before we get to November. I've long, long said it's going to be a November to remember. <laughs> and right before we get to November, we're going to have our first game in the Mid American Conference. Exciting times. It has been an October to remember for the University of Michigan football. I mean, they're trouncing opponents while others, you know, they're. The major favorites don't always cover. Just ask Georgia. Well, I believe they've covered one game. They're one and seven. They're one of six schools in America that's one and seven against the, the point spread. Against and they, they haven't had the most difficult schedule, but they have had a more difficult schedule than Michigan. But Michigan is just pure, purely dominating, trouncing opponents. And there's something to be said for that. And... Right as we went off the air yesterday, as, as we're going off the air, Chad has the, the news where it changes by the hour. Not changes, but it, there's more detail that piles on. Where we learned in the investigation with Matt Weiss, their former coordinator, um, who was uh, put on leave and then fired based on the investigation, the report of computer access crimes. Not only is campus police involved, but the FBI has been involved for months uh, in regards to this investigation. And then, about 30 minutes after uh, we're on the text chain together, me, you, and, and Davey, Chad, um, the report from Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated, who, who has the, the report on TCU, where they match up in the college football playoff in the semis. And by the time, and by and large, everyone has said that Michigan did not go and pre-scout TCU. That was the one opponent. They're, we know that tickets were purchased for Tennessee. Uh, there were tickets purchased for uh, others uh, throughout the season, non-conference, but possible college football playoff opponents for the Wolverines. TCU's not been on that list. However, coaches started calling TCU as soon as the matchups were announced that they were going to get Michigan 
right out of the gate in the college football playoffs saying, hey, it's not that they may have your signs. They do. And it really helps them change them. And coaches at TCU were saying it, it was just multiple coaches from different programs warning them. So what do they do? They changed their signals and they implemented dummy signals of their calls during the season that they had swapped, which totally confused Michigan. And TCU ends up putting 51 points on the board for a Michigan defense that had only allowed at most 27 last year until the Horn Frogs dropped 51 on them to advance to the national championship game. Coincidence, Chad? No, n- not at all. None of this is, This is right? going to be a hell of a docuseries whenever all of this comes out. Who's behind the law firm? Who's paying? Who's funding this project? A question my buddy often asks. Who's funding this project to have the outside counsel law firm go after Michigan in this way, knowing that they were up to some stuff? Somebody who tipped off TCU, as Hutton just mentioned. People knew about this scheme for a while, and then they started to gather intel on it, much like Michigan and Connor Stallions had been gathering intel for a long time. Those against Michigan doing this started to gather intel. Couple Two big reports yesterday that came out one after the other. The first one, Hutton, was – Davey sent us this. This from the Detroit Free Press. The University of Michigan Police – I read this – a part of this right before we went off air. University of Michigan Police have partnered with the FBI for months – to investigate computer crimes committed by O.C. Matt Weiss. I'm told the victims are extensive and across state lines. Now, Michigan police came out and said it's in no way related to the sign-stealing scheme that's going on. And then, Hutton, you mentioned the report from Ross Dellinger uh, with a lot of detail about TCU and the links they went to to make sure that they were Wolverine-proof with the cheating that was going on, with the sign-stealing and the uh, off-site scouting that was taking place. The quotes from the Dellinger report, I mean, the literally everybody we talked to knew. This is from one TCU coach. They'd say, just so you know, they steal your signals and they're going to have everything, so you better change them. And then one coach told the TCU staff that Michigan, quote, has the most elaborate signal stealing in the history of the world. Meaning one slight signal gives them anything they need. And they've known it. If you haven't used it in weeks, they've got it. Craziness. One of my favorite follows on uh, what was formerly known as Twitter, now X, is no context college football. There's a no context college basketball also. And it just puts out random video and photos from television games or just something happening crazy in a game. And they've been posting video of Connor Stallions whispering to either the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator during games. And there's one from the TCU game last year, Hutton, that is clear as day. You're showing the coordinator and Stallions is staring across the sideline and he goes to him and he tells him, you know, what's going on. And then the defensive coordinator is making a call. And that's what they did against Ohio State. Into his headset. And uh, obviously it didn't work because TCU was wise to it and changed everything up and put up 51 on Michigan. And keep in mind, that in and of itself is not illegal. No. It's just that the allegations and, I mean, the tickets that were purchased at all these different stadiums would prove that you can't do it off campus. You can't have off-site scouting of your next opponent or future possible opponents, or really, that could mean anyone, quite frankly. 
Uh, and that's what Connor Stallions was doing in this case. Here's, though, what is so intriguing to me about what didn't happen. So many coaches apparently called TCU when this matchup was announced. This was last year. We're getting into this now as we go into November. Sonny Dykes, a protege of Mike Leach. And Mike Leach, in the uh, matchup one year against Arizona State, Arizona State's Todd Graham was apparently notorious for stealing signals. Again, in the rule book, not uh, against the rules, not illegal, unless you're gaining an advantage offside. So during the game against Arizona State, while he's at Washington State, Mike Leach, uh, uh, as Dellinger writes, aggressively flashed signals towards Graham in a hilarious moment that's made the rounds on social media the last few days. And changing the signs, using dummy signals, I don't know why if all of these coaches were saying it's the most elaborate sign stealing in the history of the world, why you didn't do the same thing in some instances. You can at least change a few things to try to throw Michigan off with some dummy calls. And I don't get the sense that happened here. Isn't that, I mean, I don't understand that. Well, I, I don't know who all knew. You know, there, there are coaches that have said that. And like Kirby Smart, for instance, um, he talked about their playoff matchup before, and he was asked, and he was, he's one of the few coaches that's really spoken about it directly. And he said, we had no information that they had our signs during the game. It didn't look like they had our signs. Uh, we had heard nothing about that. And then went on to say, but now hearing the allegations, this is above and beyond anything I've ever heard of. Well, we know the Big Ten schools knew. I mean, that everyone's alluding to the fact that, oh, yeah, they're, they're stealing signs. So I, 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 it starts there. I, I don't understand how you don't change your signals. I understand it can be difficult to do that because you're, you're used to one thing. You're not trying to confuse the quarterback as they look to the sideline, whatever. Um, or, or just change the way you deliver the signals. Instead of you know, the hand signals with three quarterbacks, go to a, a method where you show a photo you know, or an image. Some, some schools have done that. Chad, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't, for, for all of the, oh, yeah, we knew they were doing it. It's like, well, if they got you and you knew about it, and as paranoid as coaches are about, you know, kicking people out of practice or worrying about who's in the hotel that overlooks the facility or the dorm room, who's on the roof at the library, uh, yeah, I've, that part just doesn't track and add up to me. You agree? I just don't know who knew. Like, I, I, I get if, – if all the Big Ten knew and didn't tell any of their peers with any other programs, and then the Big Ten wasn't doing anything, I also don't know when they got the damning evidence on them. Because it's one thing to take a rumor and then, you know, say, oh, Michigan cheats, they steal signs, right? Like, we think they've got informants out watching our games, and, but you can't prove it. But somebody went to great lengths to pay a law firm to dig up information on this, believing it to be true. And now this law firm turned over a hefty bit of evidence to both the Big Ten and the NCAA, and how did they react? A day later, they announced an investigation, and within a week, they're on Michigan's campus interviewing every member of the football staff. And for the NCAA, that is lightning fast time. Some may say a week, why do they do it the next day? That is lightning fast for the NCAA. And it does show the importance they're putting on this case because it has timely repercussions. It's this season. 
I mean, you've got to know exactly what they have on everyone else. Every other Michigan opponent immediately was, uh, w- was contacted and told what was going on so they could change up whatever they needed to. Um, I also get you know conflicting things on – I think it was Matt Rule. I'm getting some of the coaches who've spoken out about it. Said it's not easy just to change it all the time. You know, you can do it maybe once or twice a season, change up your signs, freshen them up, but you get 20 hours a week with them. You know, it's not like you do it every week. We're going to do completely new signs for this game. Um, I, I don't know who knew. We, now we all know. Like, it's easy to look back now and say, oh, wow, you know, this has been going on for a while. I, I need to know who knew, what they knew, why Greg Schiano is being uh, so angry at a halftime interview on TV, alluding to now what we know. When did he know that? How long had he known it? Did he tell anyone? Who's funding this project? We're still left with a ton of questions in this whole story. Well, I I agree with you on the why. If this has been going on since Connor Stallions has been there for two or three years, and people have been talking about it, how do we just get to this point now when TCU went through all this? Did TCU report them when they started hearing that they had their signs? I, I don't know. I, or maybe it just took a dump truck full of computer hard drive evidence that a law firm got gathered and video evidence before the NCAA was going to lift a finger. Yeah, and I, the, the damning evidence is the off-campus part of this. So that could be what they're waiting on. But what we know is they had tickets to more than 30 games for 11 Big Ten schools over the last three years. With Connor Stallions wearing Michigan gear as he went into the – on both sidelines, right? Um in the what, what we know about who knew, we knew some message board poster, Arnie Palmer on VolQuest, posted this in December that he knew. I mean, so, I mean, it's, again, it's, even Matt, Matt Rule in that same answer chat about not being able to do it in season because it's really difficult, um, admitted that coaches are stealing signs. But I mean, hey, but, who's, who's going to take the poster seriously? Like, did the poster well, then call his university rep did he, does he have contact with someone on Tennessee staff to tell them this? Did he go to the NCAA? I doubt no, it. No one's taking the poster seriously until you have the other hard evidence. Yeah, exactly. But, but, like, you could post anything but and I would no say, one even looked at it. But I would say to the timeline, coaches knew as they called Dykes at TCU prior to the bowl game, and here we are in late October discussing said scandal instead of August, September, yeah. whatever. Or, in, or trying to, in the moment this year, if you're one of the coaches that called, catch Connor Stallions in the act of doing so at your stadium. That would be the other part of There's it. There's also this uh, weird balance between being a snitch and right. doing what's right. And we know this. Coaches will talk to each other. Because it comes back but on But rarely you. do you roll on another team to the NCAA. Yeah. So while the coaching pipeline could have been discussing Michigan's sign-stealing operation – Maybe no one went to the NCAA or, or a league office for that reason until it was a third-party law firm that could do it because all the information, by the way, was paid for and gathered by someone. Who is that someone? You can speculate all you want about what team or individual might want this investigated. But however it got there, it does seem now with the level of investigation, the feds involved in it, uh, this scheme with Connor Stallions crossing state lines, the Matt Weiss investigation tying into this, the walls are closing Recruiting. in on Jim Harbaugh, and he's got the most dominant football team in America right now on the field. And everything else seems to be closing in on the Wolverines. At least we get to see them play Penn State and Ohio State coming up. 
but I agree. They have been totally dominant more than any program in America. And, and there is an element of this uh, for me that I, I legitimately think about who else has done this. Is because Michigan really alone? Like some have come out and said they've never heard of this, but a lot of other people are just really silent. Yeah, and, and you know what? We, we'll never know because I doubt it's as brazen and just here we are and we're doing it. We're wearing the team gear. We're employing this guy. I doubt it's that thorough or that blatant. Coming up, Michael McHenry on the World Series. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, you remember the days. Let's, let's feel old for a moment. Okay. Do you remember back in the day when the World Series was starting and you would sit in class or you would sit around on a weekend waiting on first pitch? Waiting on the lights, waiting on Costas to crack the mic. So I'm closing my eyes, going back to a simpler time and place. I know Michael McHenry knows what I'm talking about, too. Eating bluebell ice cream on a front porch. Oh, wow. There you go. Popcorn for me. Well, tastes taste delicious. Michael McHenry joins us on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network, previewing the World Series with the former major leaguer and now MLB analyst. Fort, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Hey, good to see you guys. And uh, Chad, don't feel bad. I was eating Doritos. I was the fat kid, too. Yeah, no, we grew out of it. Uh, Calorie intake has never been a big concern of mine. So I was uh, whatever the whatever the bigger caloric intake. That's what I was having. (laughs) How how do you do popcorn? He he watches figure at a young age. Yeah, he was uh, he was already a vegetarian sweet tea by then. Yeah, popcorn and sweet tea. Hey, true southerner. I love it. I, I don't mean to be a downer here. I will you please. Hype me up for the World Series. Give us a right sales now. pitch on why we should watch this. Honestly, I can't. I mean, I, I think I think if you're a true baseball fan, you have to look at this and say the system worked. It, I mean, okay. two wild card teams. It's only the third time ever it, since they've uh, introduced that wild card playoff uh, platform. I, I think you have to look at this as this is true baseball. I mean, you look at the Diamondbacks. I mean, there's not a wow factor, but one of the best young players in all of baseball is on that team. You have Longoria who has not seen the world series in 15 years since 08. So he hasn't seen the world series since one of his first seasons in baseball. Now, 15 years later, he's living at home and he gets to go to the world series. You have Will Smith who's pitched in his third world series on three different teams. Bruce Bochy going for history, a hall of fame manager. There's no doubt in my mind as soon as he retires, he's going to go straight to it. Dusty Baker just retired. It's it's a wild time for baseball, but I think if you, you know, just watch it, I think you're going to enjoy what you see because it's going to be a good brand of baseball. A lot of excitement. You have a lot of exciting players on the Texas side. You have a lot of players on Arizona side that's different, but you're going to see defense. You're going to see pitching. You may even see some some big swings, but two completely different animals when you talk about teams. Yeah, and I mean, I like the sales pitch there, even though I don't think you tried. Well, you said you couldn't flip me, but I I, I want to be <laughs> I want to be enthralled with this because when you say it's pure baseball. Um, would Philly, Texas had been the same for you or no? No, I think you're going to see when you see two juggernauts come together, teams that are built very similar. When you think about up and down the lineup, you're not going to have a lot of speed. You're not going to have a lot of running. You're not going to have a lot of maybe two strike hits and bunning. Some of the things that we just do not see anymore. I mean, because the analytics, the game has really changed. You're, you're seeing a lot of true outcomes. 
the Schwarbers of the world are going to be more and more until they start to push back or even change the way they pay these guys because the long ball, the walk, the OPS, the uh, weight con, all that stuff matters. It, it matters to the people in the front office. It matters to players. That's how they're going to get paid. And the swing and miss, the same token is the exact same when you think about the defensive side. Those guys want to get the swing and miss because that's a true outcome. They can control that a little bit more. But now we're going to see great defense on uh, the Diamondback side, an incredible bullpen, starters that could get deep into ball games, especially those first couple up front, Montgomery, uh, Evaldi. And then on the Arizona side, the Zach Gallion, I think he's going to really trend in the right direction going into tonight. So it's going to be fun to watch. I think it's going to be a good series, and it gives hope to all the small market teams. Yeah, there's no doubt the, the hope factor rings true with Major League Baseball postseason this year. Let's go a little bit big picture, though, uh, on this, because I think you're right for it when you say, oh, it showed that the, the new system worked, right, with the, the wild card teams getting in and advancing. I just see it the opposite. And I get it if you're fans of one of those teams, right? You've got, they're not exactly the top payrolls in baseball. In fact, one is one of the lower payrolls in baseball with Arizona. Um, but one thing I like about the NBA system is typically it leads to the two best teams in the finals, right? With a, a number of seven game series and the nature of the sport and everything. There's, you can't change the nature of the game of baseball. Right there, there's going to be some breaks that don't go your way. That's part of the game. I understand all of that, but when I see Rangers Diamondbacks, I don't think let's get more wild card in there. I think let's have the National League champion play the American League champion at the end of 162 games and not play playoff series altogether. And let's get to the two best teams that way in the end. And then we're really going to care about the World Series. We won't have other playoff series uh, to look at, but at least we'll get the two best teams at the end of the year. I know that's extreme, but I do think there's two different ways to look at this from the underdog startup to the what does America really want to see? Do they want to see the team that was best from April till October, or do they want to see the team that got in the playoffs because the Chicago Cubs outfielder couldn't field a routine fly ball against the Braves in late September, and that's the reason they got in as a wild card team? Yeah, I, I could fall in line definitely with the NBA style playoff format. You know, let the best team play the worst team, throw out the divisional. Uh, series winners that yeah great you you did a great job this season the full length season you win here's your ring congratulations now who's got the best record national league american league put them at the very top make your pulls and at the very end who's left there's no breaks it's continued play just like the season and i think that'd be way better i mean if if you're at the bottom of the barrel and you end up being beating the juggernaut good for you you know it's almost like an ncaa format i like that format i think it'd be a lot of fun and then ultimately you kind of give everybody the same dealing hand and you go into it, but you're favored if you're a top team. And that makes that season, I think, matter more. I mean, the, the teams, I don't really think, think about the divisional series. Yes, it's a pat on the back, but you don't get a ring. You, you get in the playoffs, but you have that lull, which I think hurts a lot of teams. It did the Atlanta Braves, especially in today's game with the true outcome. It makes it very tough because there's a lot more swing and miss. Which manager was most clutch throughout your career? And what does it say that Boshi has, has lost one elimination game so far, ever? Uh, he's remarkable. And I was actually uh, today talking to Clint Hurdle. So I'm going to use him as a great example. And he actually brought up that Bochi's going to be in the HOV lane right to the HOF lane. Yeah. And I thought that was a really, really cool way to put it because 
that's a special breed. And there's three guys that he mentioned and it was Bochi, Terry Francona and Baker. They're all leaving and they're all going to go straight to the hall of fame on that HOV lane. I thought that was really cool. cool. And he's a guy that, you know, he's really grown over his time. I had him in two different spots. So I got to see him manage different. And there's a guy that's with Arizona, the the Diamondbacks bench coach and Jeff Bannister. I'm going to get him on here for you guys at some point because he is a great mind, a great human, and he thinks things differently. He never thinks he's right. He's always questioning, hey, where am I at? Is this the right answer? And he's always trying to figure out ways to put the best in people. And I think that's what we're going to see on that side. And Bochi is obviously a wizard at it. When he gets into big moments, he seems to elevate people in a way you don't really understand and see things that other people don't like what he did with Madison Bogbrunner. I believe it was in 15 when those guys took off and he just pitched and pitched and pitched. Of course you want the ball, but you have to be kind of in a balance as a manager to understand is, is it the time to give him the ball? Should I give him the ball? I don't want to hurt him. And the other day when he took out Max Scherzer at 34 pitches, Max Scherzer looked elite. He looked back to normal, which should be scary for Arizona, but he took him out because he knew there was a bigger pitcher and he cared about that human being. Bruce Bochy did pretty well going from San Diego, taking that franchise to a World Series, to three titles with San Francisco. Now we got another manager making the transition from San Diego to San Francisco with Bob Melvin. What do you make of San Diego not stopping a division rival from interviewing their active manager and saying, yeah, if you want to go there, go ahead. Uh, I don't know what signal that sends the Giants other than San Diego certainly doesn't think this guy's all that good. I mean, I don't know if San Diego can take any more punches. I mean, they're they're probably going to have to trade Soto. There, there's a lot of things going on, but you talk about a team that had almost everything you could ask for on paper. I mean, they had pitching, they had speed, they had a bullpen, they had just elite caliber players all the way around them. They had a good front office, and you thought for sure this team's going to put together and take off, and they didn't. And they're going to have a Cy Young Award winner. They're going to have MVP votes with two different guys. And they didn't win their division. And now they're watching the Arizona Diamondbacks who were in their division play for the World Series. They lose their manager. It has got to be an absolute punch in the face. And I'll be interested to see how they respond. Because when you get knocked down, I believe the way you get back up and take that next step tells a whole lot about who you are. The Rangers lineup, 20 runs scored over the last two games. Meanwhile, uh, when Carroll for the Diamondbacks is on, that lineup is a lot better at the plate, and they put up some runs, and they can jump out early. Who has the advantage going into this, knowing that Texas is one on the road against Houston? Honestly, I think Texas has the advantage because of Bo- Bochi. I mean, that, okay. that, that's the biggest advantage in the room. And and you look at this entire playoff mix this year, the teams on the road have generally played better. And I go back to... I think it's the emotional side of it. I think at home, you're getting overwhelmed with family, friends, asking for tickets, all the extra media that you have to deal with. And I think when they go on their own, they almost get a a chance to kind of sit back and relax a little bit. So I think when you look at this matchup, Texas closing the roof tonight and, and having a chance to maybe kind of restart or restructure that home advantage, I think Texas has a huge advantage, especially with Bochi and Max Scherzer now in the mix. If you can keep their bullpen out of it and get enough of uh, that offense going, I think they're going to be right out in front. Uh, does does MLB control if the roof is open or closed, or is it the home team? Yeah, the MLB, once playoff starts, they control all of that. So, you know, just by closing that roof, you're talking about the decibels yeah. of how loud it's going to be. He's going to go through the roof, and that's a big ballpark and indoors. It's going to be exciting for any fan that's there, but 
it's going to be loud. And I mean, extremely loud to the point where I've heard that you can't even hear the pitch comp. So the pitch comp is what stays in your helmet or your hat while you're calling pitches. And not only the pitcher catcher use that, but also the infield and the outfield to position. So those guys are going to have a hard time hearing. So it's a huge advantage. Michael McHenry with us. What do you think of when you think of Dusty Baker? Legend. Honestly, I'll never forget. I was taking my wife to a dinner. I think it was our anniversary dinner. I wasn't playing that much at the end of my first season with Pittsburgh. And lo and behold, I see Dusty Baker. And I'm, I'm trying not to like maybe ooh and ah at him a little bit because I'm I'm a rookie and I always thought the world of him with his wristbands in Chicago. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at him, and he just says, hey, you. And he just waved me over. And I was like, okay. So I just kind of walked over and he made sure my wife came over too. And he just sat me down and gave me advice about my career and what I should you know, look for and what opportunities I should try to take. And don't ever allow anybody to tell me what I can be or can't be. And I'll never forget it. So that was somebody that I didn't know, never met, played a couple series against him in Pittsburgh. And he took the time at dinner with his other coaches to pull me over and have a conversation with me. So I think he's a legend. He's a player first manager. And I think if nothing else, you can never say that Dusty Baker is not an incredible human being. Did he have a toothpick in? He sure did. Always. That's you awesome. Know, the one question I meant to ask him this year is when he when he wore a mask for two seasons, yeah. did he have a toothpick underneath? Or did he <laughs> yeah. have to poke a hole sometimes, right? I mean That would be great if he had the hole poked out just for the toothpick, just in the one yeah. spot. You'd really he only work that. that one groove though between the teeth <laughs> if you had the one spot in the mask that you would think it would wear a hole in it eventually. Yeah, Dusty Baker though is uh, his retirement hot and I know for the, all three of us makes me think about sort of the end of a long era. Right, yeah. of him being around the game and managing different teams and uh, such a cool personality and part of the game. And I love stories like that for it because baseball is such a sport with so much kind of downtime around it that it lends itself to guys that give younger guys advice or managers talking to young players, conversations. You don't get that in every sport. I feel like there's a higher percentage of guys like Dusty Baker that'll pull a young Michael McHenry aside and talk to him as opposed to maybe some other sports where you either don't have the time to do it or you just don't have that as much. Yeah. And I, I think what you just said, Chad, it, it's kind of ending an era of guys that after a game, they would kind of debrief in the clubhouse or go to dinner late and talk about the game, have a beer, have a cigar and be ready to go the next day. But more importantly, leave it at the ballpark. And I think we've lost that. I think we've lost that in society and we've for sure lost it in sport because it's become so individualized, whether it's a stat, whether it's this, whether it's fantasy or betting, it seems to always be individualized, but it's still team sport. That's what I love about baseball. That's why this series could be romantic. If you love the game, because it shows, Hey, the, the best two players on Texas's team didn't play for the majority of the season. When you think about Max Scherzer and DeGrom not pitching, I mean, that's huge. And then you also have a, player former player being a gm which i absolutely adore and then you go to arizona side nobody thought this was going to happen nobody thought a hundred lost season on both sides we're going to end up the uh, world series a year later it's remarkable i love the team aspect and when you come together like this it's a lot of fun i hope it maybe trickles back in with a little bit of light he's the fort michael McHenry. you can follow him on social at the fort McHenry. uh enjoy the world series i'm going to tune in i just don't 
I want to be I'm, enthralled I'm for the in a long. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm for the Rangers. Rangers. Yeah, a long, for the Rangers. I want a long series. You know, I, well, I'm here for the moment. Ford, I'm just happy the Phillies lost. Quite there honestly, that was my World go. Series. That Game Seven and those sad Philly fans. That was my World Series right there. That's that's as happy as I could be this postseason. <laughs> hey, was when the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies. Have a great weekend. Thanks for all right, you guys too. I appreciate it. God bless. Same to you, Michael McHenry. Always great. We'll catch up with him next week on how the series has progressed. It's all downhill over the once the Phillies lost for me, Hot. I'm right. fine now, but I am for the Rangers. I wanted to make good on that 2011 choke job. If you're on an uphill climb, we've got fantasy football advice with Michael Fabiano next. Always great on a Friday at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Festive. Every Hot Friday. Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. Got the band playing out there. Yep. They go from George Strait. I walked in today, Hutton, blaring from the speakers before the band played. Creed, higher. Wow. I mean, it, the, first chords, the first chords hit as I walked through the entrance at 6th and Peabody, and I said, it's going to be a hell of a day. If Creed is playing, serenading me, the lovely sounds of Scott Stapp as I walk in, then it's going to be I a heck of a Davey day. I sent Davey on Instagram a video of uh, a Halloween costume. It's someone uh, as, as Scott Stapp. Oh, at so halftime, at halftime in a Cowboys jersey, uh, doing the halftime show for it's the really Dallas good. Cowboys. They've got the performance on the TV in the background too, and they're mimicking the entire performance. It's well done. Michael Fabiano joins us, the Sports Illustrated senior fantasy analyst. He gets it done for us week in and week out, and our, our viewers and listeners as well. Uh, Michael, always great to see you, man. Hope things are well. Yeah, last week was rough. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Between Biomageddon and everything going sideways. Uh, but hopefully I can take you and the audience higher this week. <laughs> Sorry. We, our, well uh, played. Our, our arms are wide open for that, resist. okay? Yeah, well played. Yes. And well played, Hutton, with wide open. I'm trying to think of the other big Creed songs now. I got nothing. That's it. <laughs> My sacrifice. <laughs> Davey yeah. chimes in da- for the peanut Davey gallery. Hudson, by the way, My Michael, sacrifice. is a massive Creed fan. And he's over here just pissed off that we can't come up with a third song. So it, uh, My sacrifice is what he's yelling Dalton out. Kincaid in for Zach Ertz for me was <laughs> a great my sacrifice yes. for this week so far uh, that paid off yeah Dalton Kincaid's uh I said when Dawson Knox got put on IR that Dalton Kincaid's going to be a top 12 tight end as long as Knox is out of action uh and he certainly was great last night a lot of good performances from a fantasy perspective I mean Gabe Davis who is literally all or nothing like he either gives you 20 or gives you two he had yes. a big game you know Diggs had a big game Josh Allen always has big games and even on the other side Chris Godwin was good. Rashad White, that's a player that if the Buccaneers continue to utilize him like they had the last couple of weeks, which is more as a pass catcher, he's going to be more valuable uh, heading into the fantasy playoffs as we get down the stretch of the season than he has been in the first half because they can't run the ball. But if you can catch it like that and they're going to target him that many times, Rashad White's value is going up. Got your Fabs 5 coming up in just a moment. I've got a surprise stardom I want to get your take on. You may hate it, but I'll add this in in a moment. Um, but any players that you would be looking at to make a move for prior to the deadline after week eight and on Tuesday for the trade deadline in the league? See, there's so many players that are rumored to be traded, but you never know what's going to happen. Like, for example, Derrick Henry. Would they really move him? I don't know. Um, if you went to Cleveland or Baltimore, that'd be fantastic. Zach Moss, Javante Williams, same kind of thing. I would love to see those guys get traded. doesn't necessarily mean that they will. New Hopkins, Titans. I mean, right. they, they seem to be tanking already. I mean, they're going to start Will Levis this week. 
uh, you know, they made it, they made a trade um, that this is, this is a team that seems to already be uh, looking ahead to 2024. I'd love to see new Hopkins go someplace else, but if he doesn't, I, that'd be a scary proposition to trade for him because right now the quarterback position shaky at best. And, you know, nukes kind of fallen into that curse of veteran tight end uh, or wide receivers who go to the Titans, like, Randy Moss and, you know, Andre Johnson uh, and more recently Julio Jones, who just can't get the job done. I- I'm kind of hoping Jerry Judy gets traded. That will open things up for Marvin Mims, who, if he's out there on the waiver wire, you can make a speculative ad with him. Uh, potentially Cortland Sutton gets dealt as well. Who knows? But uh, those are some of the players that I think you can potentially see getting dealt. Uh, I would love to see Devontae Adams get the hell out of Las Vegas uh, just for selfish purposes, because I've got a couple of shares of him in that quarterback situation is a mess, but the Raiders have said that they don't have any plans to trade him. So I guess we're kind of stuck with him in Sin City uh, for the remainder of the season, but who knows? And I've never looked at it from that angle, but maybe consider the backups to a player who could be traded. That could also be a waiver move to make. Tajay Spears, for example. Right, exactly. Like in Tennessee, although he's probably owned in most leagues, uh, at least most competitive leagues out there. So yeah, you can make speculative ads like that, like Mims, like Spears. Uh, and see what happens on Halloween, which is the trade deadline. Fabs five, start them, sit them. Let, let's let's dive in with, and you're starting with Detroit quarterback Jared Goff. And, and you guys know why he's playing at home. Like, I mean, I, I, it might seem you know just like so obvious, but I mean, Jared Goff is not good typically on the road. Last week, very bad, uh, and he's great at home. And he's got the Raiders this week, and the Lions have a bye after the game, so I, I think they want to come out there and 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 end the. Uh, the first half on a high note there after getting beaten pretty badly by Baltimore in their last game. So Jared Goff's a very good start. Isaiah Pacheco has been solid. You know, he's getting 17 touches a game somewhere in that neighborhood. He had almost 16 points against the Broncos last time they played uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, speaking of the lions, Jameer Gibbs, you'll play him right now while David Montgomery is out uh, again, Raiders really good matchup. Gibbs was very good from a fantasy perspective last week. Christian Kirk's been solid 14.7 points per game. Playing the Steelers this week. Uh, the Steelers are not good against wide receivers. I think Christian Kirk has a big game. And Terry McLaurin, I, I love trends. And this trend is something that I found a, a, a year or two ago. Terry McLaurin owns the Eagles. I don't know why. He just does. They're bad against perimeter receivers. The last time they played each other was earlier this season. McLaurin had a big game against them, including uh, recovering a fumble for a touchdown of all things. So start Terry McLaurin this week. Uh, in a home game for the Commanders, I think they'll be much better than they were last week against the Giants. So my my stardom, maybe I'm crazy here, but again, I don't have great options at quarterback. I'm starting Desmond Ritter without hesitation against this Titans defense. Do you agree? The Titans defense is good against the run and bad against the pass. So the matchup is right. With that being said, the fact that you said you would start Desmond Ritter without hesitation, my friend, you are far braver than I am. Well, <laughs> I'll tell I, you that right my now. Other option, without hesitation, my, I have a lot of hesitation with Desmond Ritter, but I mean, if he's your best option, uh, at least the matchup's right. Uh, I'm six and one in this league, Michael, and I, I have. Well, listen, I, I have Ritter. I, 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 should, I have Ritter. I should bow down to you. No, 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 no. I, I'm not going to. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, uh, without listen hesitation. Listen to his options before you get on. It's the, Ritter yes. and Gardner Minshew. <laughs> and I've got this. They're my third option now after starting with Rodgers. 16 and then team league. 16 yeah. team league. Keep but, that in mind also. But I made, I made this move as if I've already seen his fantasy week played. I, I As soon as the week <laughs> flipped over from lap, from week seven to week eight, uh, Ritter was my starter over Minshew. And that's after Minshew played well a week ago. I will say this. 
being six and one with those quarterbacks. Thank you. You're doing something else right, my friend. <laughs> Very lucky. Running back, Michael, wide receiver, I, tight ends. That's it. You're making good moves. That's it. And I had Rodgers at one point for four plays. Yeah, it was a great four plays. Yeah, it was though. amazing. It was exciting, exciting four plays. I actually, with that game, I picked up the Falcons' defense going against there you go. the rookie quarterback Malik Willis rotation for the Titans. Do you like that pickup? Yeah, I do. Um, and, you know, there's certainly some defenses out there that you could stream. Atlanta may be on the top of the list. Detroit against the, the Las Vegas Raiders this week. Also uh, a good look at home. But, yeah, Atlanta's defense is one of the best streamers of, of the week, whether you're in DFS or traditional fantasy leagues. Without hesitation, who are you sitting this week? Russell Wilson against the Chiefs. The last time they played uh, each other, you remember, it was not good for Russell. He's been bad lately. Chiefs defense, I don't know if it's that they're really this good or they just haven't played anybody or maybe a combination of both, but they've been tough on quarterbacks. Brian Robinson's got the Eagles this week. They're giving up 3.3 yards per rush to running backs. They are very tough to run against. Robinson will have to do something as a pass catcher to have a decent fantasy week. Uh, Daryl Henderson against my beloved Dallas Cowboys. He had a good game last week, got a lot of volume. Royce Freeman got some touches as well. Uh, but the Cowboys have allowed just one running back to beat them for more than 13.8 points this season. Uh, so Henderson's probably a flex this week, assuming he's the starter for the Rams again. I mentioned New Hopkins. I want nothing to do with him. Atlanta's given up the fewest points per game to perimeter receivers. You know, Will Levis, Malik Will, or, I'm sorry, Will Levis, uh, Malik Willis. I mean, listen, uh, do I need to go any further than that? Uh, and it looks like they could get Traylon Burks back this week, which means yes. uh, even fewer opportunities potentially for New Hopkins. And then Amari Cooper, like, I know you probably got to play him. I get it. But he, they got P.J. Walker quarterback. And again, the Browns are week in and week out, I think, regretting that Deshaun Watson trade more and more and more. Uh, Amari Cooper is a flex starter at best this week against Seattle. And Seattle's defense is actually another one that you could stream this week with P.J. Walker at quarterback for the Browns. So Chris Olave arrested for reckless driving. Would you go with him or Christian Watson if you had the choice this week? Um, I'd probably go with Olave. Christian Watson's really not done much. From a fantasy perspective, you know, he's gotten to the end zone here and there, uh, but he hasn't really done that much. Uh, did you watch the video? Olave was like, Hey man, I play for the Saints, <laughs> and the police officer was like, "And <laughs> like, that, that always like, that works like out the, well." Do you know who I am the when you're getting in trouble? It works every time. Works I'm so leaving great. CVS and I'm driving seventy to thirty. I play for 30. the Saints, uh, yeah. and I mean the Saints aren't that good. I'm sure the fans really aren't uh, real yeah. thrilled about New Orleans right now. Um, but now I, I'd stick with Olave though in that situation. So here's a, a real time adjustment by me. I hear Michael Fabiano on this show telling me to sit New Hopkins. I do so. So who should I play on my roster? I'm sitting New Hopkins. Do I go with Rasheed Rice of the Chiefs at Denver or Jackson Smith and Jigba at home against Cleveland for Seattle? I'm, I'm going to Rasheed Rice. Now that comes with a caveat. Um, we don't know what Tyler Lockett's practice status was for today yet uh, because obviously, you know, they're, uh, they're a West Coast team. They're playing on the West Coast this week. I don't know exactly if Lockett plays or not. If Lockett is out, I'm going with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, if Lockett is a go because DK Metcalf's going to play this week, um, then I I'm going to sit uh, Jackson Smith uh, in that matchup against the Browns, which is not a great matchup, but he was good last week. And if Lockett can't go, he would see more opportunities in the passing game. So I think you're, you're in a sit and wait scenario, but honestly, both options 
um, are probably better than DeAndre Hopkins in a best case scenario where Lockett doesn't play and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is paired with DK uh, in that offense against Cleveland. It feels like Rice is good for a touchdown a week right now, too, from Patrick. Yeah, Mahomes he's been pretty good. Point. He's been he's been a, a pleasant surprise on a team that is very hard to decipher which wide receiver to start uh, on a weekly basis. And to be quite honest with you, I think right now Rasheed Rice is the only Chiefs wide receiver that you can start with confidence. Travis Etienne may be flourishing on the scene more than what you expected prior to the start of the season. Yeah, I thought he'd be good. I didn't think he'd be, you know, a top three or five fantasy running back. So he's been fantastic. But it seems to have come at the expense of Trevor Lawrence because we all thought Lawrence would have a better year this year than he did last year. And last year was a good year. But he hasn't. I mean, his ceiling's been 17 or 18 points. You know, his floor is not awful. But uh, yeah, ETN's been great. But uh, Trevor Lawrence has not lived up to expectations from a fantasy standpoint, at least at this point. Maybe he'll turn things on in the second half. But yeah. Uh, if you got ATN, uh, he was probably, you know, a third round pick somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself because you got a weekend and a week out starter. Our guy, Tyler Castle asked uh, Roshan Johnson or uh, Deontay Foreman for the bears this weekend. Yeah. Good question. So the last I heard Roshan Johnson had been practicing, but had not cleared concussion protocol yet. So I still have Foreman ranked higher. My guess is that if both are active, it will be a split backfield in which case it's anybody's guess. Uh, who would be the guy I'd probably go with Foreman because he's been good the last couple of weeks especially last week with the three touchdowns maybe the Bears try to ease Roshan into it but keep in mind Darrington Evans who I mean this guy came off the street he had double digit carries last week so this is not just like the Deontay Foreman show they are still using a committee and whether it's Johnson or Evans next week with Foreman, it will be a committee. So I, can, I can't pick up Tyler Bage, or Tyson Bajit, by the way. I could go Sam Darnold, but I'm hesitant because Purdy's trying to cl- clear concussion protocol. It's a 325 central kickoff, and my other two quarterbacks play at noon. My guess is that it will be Darnold uh, who will play because typically when a player has gotten a concussion, he has not played the following week. And I think the only yeah. outlier was Luke Musgrave, but he was concussed on a Thursday, and so he had more time to clear protocol. There's also Tua, but yes. Well, I mean, if you're if you've got Tua, I mean, you've got no, yeah, no, right. no, no. Well, I'm saying Tua uh, also yeah. clear concussion protocol. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. So, I, I, yes, you're so right. So my, my 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 guess would be no Brock. I'd go Darnold. Okay. I'm going to get rid of uh, Minshew then. I guess. No, I, I don't know I'll that I'm you. getting rid of Minshew because. Okay. If it's on that 16 team, it is. Uh, team, I mean, that's because you may get Darnold for a week and that's it, right? Because Purdy's going to get the job that back, I, I would assume, in San Francisco's next game. So if there's somebody else that you can drop that's not valuable, then I would go in that direction. But I don't want to cut Minshew because listening to the quarterbacks that you have, you're going to need them the rest of the season. Michael Fabiano, the very best of fantasy football. We've got headlines next on Outkick. 